Hello und willkommen. Ach, or something. I don't know. I can't speak German. Hello. Welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? What's going on here anyway? Very excited to talk to our guest today. I'm your host, Richard Litauer, of course. Hello, everyone. Solo hosting today, which is always kind of fun. I get to ask all the questions I actually want to ask. And my guest today is Laura Dornheim. Dr. Laura Dornheim is the CDO of the city of Munich, which is a new term for me. Haven't heard of CDO before, so very excited to get into that. Laura, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Richard, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've actually had this podcast on the books for like six months. Whew. It was a long time since FOSS backstage where Laura was the keynote speaker, I believe. Came and gave an awesome talk there. I was sitting in a podcast room suffering from the worst jet lag of my life. But I'm very excited to have Laura back to talk to us today. Okay, Laura, so I know you have a long and storied history in open source and in software. You've been coding since you were 14 or so. Let me just correct you there a bit. Cool. I learned or taught myself some coding when I was 14, but I never actually got paid to code unless you count the teenage tries at making pocket money from designing <laughs> air quotes website. But I've never worked as a developer just to set the record straight there. <laughs> Well, essentially, you say you've never been paid to code. However, you're the chief digital officer of the city of Munich, correct? That is absolutely correct, yes. And you work with coders all the time to help them figure out what to do. That is also correct. And I do okay. take some pride in understanding quite a bit of code. did learn not only HTML, so I studied informatics, computer science, and was forced to learn quite a lot of languages, including Prolo. Not sure if you ever heard about that. I guess a few people listening have heard about it. Did a fair share of coding in my life, but never worked as a devoted programmer, but always enjoyed working with and amongst people who do code as their profession. Well, sounds like you've done more than your fair share because I've never touched Prolog and I'm pretty happy to have done that, but that's okay. Tell me, what is the CDO office at Munich and what do you do there? So CDO stands for Chief Digital Officer. My kid, he's seven, says I'm the boss of the Internet of Munich, which is a pretty good description, I think. I like that. So I'm, I'm responsible for all the tech in the city of Munich, which is one of the, the largest uh, cities in Germany. The city has one point, roughly 1.3 citizens and we have roughly 40,000 people working in and for the government here, the city government, the city administration. And we do not only run the servers and all the hardware, but are also responsible for anything, any future projects, like thinking about like, um, what is our smart city strategy? Where do we want to stand with our internal processes, um, which are still quite paper heavy in a year and five so it's quite a broad range, but that's also what makes it so interesting for me. So I'm so, basically responsible for digitizing the city in all that regards. That is a lot of work. That is awesome. Yes. My city is 7,000 people. So very, very different scale there. That's really, really cool. When you talk about the city as a whole, are you talking about, say, the entire transportation schedules, uh, taxes, like, can you give me an example of what sort of ways citizens interact with the city directly? So the, the very 
basic simple one is if you want to apply for a new passport, if you want to change your, your address in Germany, everyone is registered with the address, which that's, that's the amazing pro that we don't have to register to vote. So all these things where you in the past had to go to an office and like sign forms on paper, a lot of that you can do online by now. And I'm responsible for the tech part of that. So making sure we have these processes, we have these forms online and making sure that the people in, we call it citizen's office, have the equipment to deal with all that. But of course, we work together with a lot of other parts of the administration. I mean, there is a, a, spe a special, we call them like, or like you can compare them to like city ministries. So we have a ministry for transportation. We have one for protecting the environment and climate. We have, of course, one for social services, uh, social issues. So we work in collaboration with all these to help them transition from analog to digital processes. And the tra transportation, of course, is a, is a huge part that is not my original domain, but we work with these other parts of the administration together to make sure that uh, the city is as smart as possible. One big project that we are currently working on is creating a digital twin of the city. So making sure that all the data that we have about the city, and of course, the traffic and transportation data is a, is a huge part, is not isolated anymore, but that I can connect transportation data with environment data, with data about the demographics and stuff to model the city and visualize and evaluate any, any plans or projects that might be planned. So that's a lot of work. And it sounds like it's a lot of software. It is. Where does open source enter the picture? Open source has always been in the picture because, I, like I said, we also run our server farm, actually two of them. And as anyone who knows anything about servers knows, you cannot run a server farm without open source. And then, of course, there has been a very prominent project in Munich, switching the whole administration from Microsoft Office to a special Linux called Linux for M for Munich. And that has quite famously failed, unfortunately. That has made open source a topic that is uh, very broadly discussed in Munich. And uh, I'm quite happy that open source is not a, a niche topic anymore as it was like 10 or 15 years ago. But I was, even me, I was surprised who in Munich has an opinion about open source and Linux in specifically. That was very emotional because if you try to sort of brute force 40,000 people to an operating system that they're not used to, not only make friends, let's put it that way. And while I think it was a visionary project and yeah, it was definitely ahead of its time. That's the thing. So it was a, the most ambitious open source project definitely in anywhere in public administration, maybe in one of the biggest ever, but it was a bit too ambitious and it was probably not addressed ideally. So the city government decided to, to switch back to Microsoft, which of course is sad, but we learned a lot from that. And I would say today, open source is more alive and more supported in the city of Munich than ever. So we have our own open source project office that we're building up and growing. We have the clear priority to use open source software over proprietary software and it we have the clear guideline to use open source over proprietary software, 
whenever possible, feasible and reasonable. And we also have a clear guideline to publish any code that we write ourselves. And you can imagine an organization with 40,000 people with lots of different applications. There is a fair share of our own code and that is published on GitHub. Thanks so much for touching on the Linux issue. I know that was a whole thing in Munich. I've referenced it on this podcast before where Munich tried to basically just, we're all going to do open source all the time. And then everyone's like, what? Then you switch back to Microsoft and it was kind of sad. My main question for you, Laura, that I'm really curious about today is that Munich's a really good example of where state sanctioning and state forcing open source doesn't always work. I want to know how you are able to have effective power in Munich and how you came back from that. Like, what is it that allows you to continue to have a role in open source? Because oftentimes when open source doesn't work at scale, people just say, well, we're never touching that again. Let's move on and do nothing else. But you are the CDO of Munich and you like open source. How did you manage that? (laughs) Well, first of all, I got very lucky to get nominated for this position by part of the city government that has always supported open source. But also they learned from Linux experience. And what I, from the first day on, made my, made it very clear that my perspective is not a black and white one. It's, there is no point in like switching everything to open source tomorrow. Uh, but not going all in doesn't mean that we're not going in at all. So kind of like finding that balance and trying to bridge that gap because there has been really, there has been frontiers here. There has been like, I think it's getting a little bit better. Time heals also, but there's, you can either be pro open source or against the Munich. That was for a lot of people for quite a time, the reality and like talking to both sides and trying to yeah bridge that gap and making sure that there is a lot of middle ground and that we should use that. Yeah, that's kind of my mission. And so far I've been, I guess, semi-successful. When I started, I got emails like, yeah, your predecessor murdered Linux. What are you going to do? It's like, okay. It's like, I've never heard people talk about murder in the context of open source, but okay. But that tells you how emotional it also was. And what we learned as an organization is not to force open source in areas where there is a lot of resistance to be expected. But we do have so much software that people do not have a comparison at home, right? So if you file a travel application for a business trip, or if you apply for some sort of like parental leave bonus, then we have digital processes within the city that we have built our own on, and it's, it's all open source. And yeah, nobody would complain because it's <laughs> for them an online form on some website and it works but of course for us it makes or like for me from tech side it makes a difference if we're like buying someone else's software or if we're using something or like building upon something that's open source another example that i really like because it's used by thousands of people every day is the tool to make make an appointment in the citizen's office and like with the administration that is a open source tool that has been Originally developed, been developed by the city of Berlin. And then we started also using it. Now we're like uh, growing it and improving it together. And for me, that's like really like the best case of open source in public administration. I just want to ask something because it sounds like a lot of the work that you're doing building services actually would be things that would be at the state level. 
or even the federal level in the U.S. Things like applying for a passport is in nowhere near a city issue in the U.S. Yeah. So do you know how well, that breaks well, down? Is it different? Welcome to the Federal Republic of Germany. Cool. So, <laughs> okay. of course, of course, Munich does not issue passports, but you apply at a city's office. So the federal level has delegated that process to the communities. Which Got it brings with it all its... So we, we have 11,000 communities in, in Germany, like the most local levels of administration. And so in the worst case, we have 11,000 communities who build or buy their own software to make appointments. With Munich and Berlin teaming up, at least we have one, one less. But that is a huge issue with like anything digital in the public area in Germany that we have these very strictly separated levels of administration. That's really helpful. I also like that you quoted 11,000 because that makes me think that this is really an area which is ripe for open source to work well. If every single city is buying their own proprietary software, that's a huge waste of taxpayer resources, a huge waste of resources in general. It is. And we have an organization in Germany, like a private organization, like sort of NGO, I guess, that's called Bund der Steuerzahler. So like confederation of taxpayers that every year they publish a report where they feel tax money has been wasted, like bridges crossing from nowhere to nowhere, stuff like that. But they never so far have they addressed software buying, like you just pointed it out. And for me, it's so obvious. There is good signs of like growing awareness on a federal level. So we had a law into effect with a deadline of the end of 2020 that said that all public services have to be available online. The whole of Germany failed miserable. We all knew that a long time, but at least we had a goal to start with. And in this law, not only was open source already like, at least positively mentioned, because in the past, long the school of thought has long been like public administration cannot work with open source because you don't have anyone to have a contract with. So that changed. And the I think great idea that was in that law was that the federal level pays the states in Germany to build or buy digitalized certain processes, but they only pay one state. So if one state gets money for a certain process, no other one can get public funding, but they can use what the one state got paid for. So the idea was great and even greater for open source Unfortunately, the culture in most of public administration was not really ready for that. So it was called Bale EFA service, so one, one for all, very musketeery. But there's very few examples where that was actually successful implemented. Tell me about how you ensure that the open source that you're using at the city of Munich is able to be contributed to by external people. And when you, when I'm saying external, I don't just mean other states that are interested in getting your share, maybe of the federal money that you've gotten for, say, doing one service like you just talked about, but also people who aren't related to a civic office who are just interested in open source in general. So far, that is not yeah, the default, I'd say, that we really not only allow, but, but welcome external contributions. But we want to change that. So far, like I said, we publish our code and of course people can make uh, comments and not sure if they could even make commits, but we are launching a open source sabbatical where we 
really want to pay people wherever they are currently employed, like at the, the administration or at a private company, where we pay them for a certain period to work on open source project. That can be a project from the city, but could also be a completely different project. But that is, um, I think, a really important step towards changing that one-way street into, into a two-way street. When you say you publish your code, is that on GitLab, GitHub, somewhere similar, or is it on a, on a website that the city of Munich hosts and it's just available? <laughs> yeah, it's it's on a website in like a scanned PDFs. No, it's on GitHub. And we also publish on Code, which stands for the like the, the public administration GitHub that Germany launched, which I'm not 100% convinced yet. It's good that they did it, but it's not yet taken, hasn't taken off yet, to my knowledge. But it's on, on GitHub. It's... So the, the part of, of my organization that does that is called IT at M and they have a GitHub. So I like that you said you want to make it other people can contribute to the code that your city is producing. It's great that you're launching an open source sabbatical. I think it's a really cool idea to pay individuals to work on this sort of stuff. I know that there are other examples of other cities in Europe which have a more open process with a more open, say, pipeline. So for instance, Lutes, which is run by the city of Paris is a platform that other people can contribute to. And in fact, is now being used in other European cities outside of France, which is really interesting. My question for you is, if normal people can't necessarily commit, can other states commit to your work? Like, how does it become open source? Or is it just open as in we threw it over a wall and now you can all see it and we hope you don't like comment on it too much? We have the full spectrum here. So like I said, the project together with Berlin, that is definitely public and we are the two cities driving it, but it is completely developed by open source standards. And then, of course, we do have those smaller projects where we throw it over a wall and like just publish it. Very often, these might be like such small, like niche middleware parts that I'm not so sure if, how useful they are for others. And we have the, the full range. And my goal, of course, is to make more properly open software and to get more contributions also to the city, because that's, that's for me the, the whole aim also behind open software to make public administration more transparent and interactive. Because I th really think it's important that we lower this perceived barrier between the people and the state. And I think open source can um, help with that aim. Germany has the Sovereign Tech Fund, which is a really interesting fund that's used to basically fund open source software. I want to focus on the sovereign in that word because it's a very political choice to say that Germany shouldn't be reliant, say, upon American firms to do stuff. It should be able to work on its own. And that's from the federal level in a way. So I'm curious, do you have to deal with that sort of rhetoric as well on the, the city level where people are pushing and saying we should be self-sufficient, we should have our own servers, we should have our own hardware, and open source is fine or not fine? Just have you run across that before? Yeah, of course, definitely. And I, I deal with that rhetoric, but I see it more as like a marketing strategy for open software, because even people that are not very deep in the, in the tech field, uh, they have understood that it's not good to be dependent from one or two big players. And I think the fear is not primarily American, but the Chinese uh, companies. That's the headlines that people read, even if they otherwise don't read anything about tech. And so... It's good additional angle to make people understand why 
open source is important because there can never be such a dependency from one single organization, company, if you rely on open source. So I don't see it as a negative thing. For me, it's a, yeah, it's a smart way to help our agenda. But I also empathize the part that sovereignty in the tech field does not only mean distributing our contracts as, to as, as many players as possible, but will never be sovereign if we don't have the, the understanding and the ability to work with this tech. So for me, that's, a, that's, that's not a primarily or like singularly open source focus, but if people use tech software blindly and either feel they have to, or just because they don't have the resources, never think about what and who's behind that, we can have as much open software, we will not be sovereign. I like that you use the word understanding. It leads on to my next question, which is right now the EU is trying to jam through legislation called the Cyber Resiliency Act, which would limit the ability for people to make open source and not be on the hook if it messes up. And I'm curious how that's going for you. Have you had to deal with any sort of politicians who are worried about the liability that you bring up by having open source software than having other people use it? Yeah, of course, politicians and lawyers. But I think we're already a tiny step past that discussion or like the most people cool. have understood because the problem is not liability, right? The problem is if you have an issue, if you have a problem, if you have a big bug or some zero day exploit and the probability that you have that with proprietary software is at least as high as with open source. And well, if you're faced with a Microsoft zero day, then the only person who can help you, or person, or the only one who can help you is Microsoft. If you figure out a potential exploit in open source software, then you have a lot more people to potentially chip in and you have full transparency about the, the problem, which makes it easier to fix, at least most cases. I agree with you on that. I'm really curious about something. So I've asked three questions which are really difficult for a lot of other people. So one, on how you deal with politicians, two, how you deal with sovereignty people, three, how you got over a really bad image problem with the city of Munich with Limux. And for like all three of them, you basically said like, oh, no, of course. Yeah, it was hard, but then we got over it. And I'm just curious, what do you think gives you your position that seems so strong that you're able to look at these issues and be like, yeah, this is the stuff I deal with, but I got it under control. I mean, how is it that your office is so able to see those issues as things that are just inevitable, but you'll deal with them? What are the hard things that you're struggling with? One of the hard things is that I'm also responsible for about 800 schools and daycare places in Munich. And part of them still run their own service in their basements. And it's super hard to like clean up that mess and make sure that the schools have functioning projectors, which is yeah. really no visionary tech stuff, but big mess that we're tidying up. There are a lot of hard things and like trying to get local politicians away from paper and not having to print hundreds of pages for every meeting of the city council. But I was... Just thinking about like, uh, like what what the answer. One answer for sure is I think I'm a chronic optimist, so I always try to look at what we can get out of something. Of course, I could sit here and and whine an hour about why it was so bad that the city sacked Limux, but it's done, right? There's there won't come anything good out of, out of me whining. 
which doesn't mean that I'm not whining and complaining at some days. And another thing is that I, in retrospective, I think I'm really lucky because I never worked in public administration before. So I'm doing this for a little over a year now. I come from the private sector. I worked in uh, startups and other software companies. But for over a decade now, I'm engaging in like politics around uh, digital and tech stuff, basically as a hobby. <laughs> That's the appropriate reaction. So I know how, how politics work. I do know more or less how tech works and like bringing that together I realized it was giving me a lot of tools how to navigate that sphere and how to bridge and to translate and to moderate certain conflicts. So I'm definitely not like all day happy smiling and like glossing everything over and pretending something is great when it's not. But I took on this role because I want to shape how the city works in the future. And that's where I'm looking to, like trying to keep the eyes on the price. Love that. Awesome. Your PhD, you focused on gender roles, I believe, in open source or in business administration. I'm really curious, has any of that work translated into your current work? Well, the first half was two gender issues and uh, it was on women in leadership, but it was in consulting. So it didn't have anything to do with tech. <laughs> no. I'm happy to talk about that uh, too. But yeah, that was one of the detours that I took. But I also benefited a lot from that because I did a lot of work in the area of sociology. And if you work with people, that always helps. It does help. I would imagine that it's not just a detour. It's probably foundational. Most people in open source didn't go directly to open source as a thing. It's just not really possible. We all have our various side quests along the way. I'm just I'm really impressed by keeping your eye on the prize and by chronic optimism as a means for dealing with bureaucracy. So that's excellent. And I like that. I think... We're running up on time. Is there anything else you want to share about your work? And I was just thinking how I came to open source. And I think it, because I came to politics through nerds and techies, the idea of, of public money, public code, that was set. And of course, I questioned a lot because I questioned everything, but I never found a reason to let go of that belief. And I have explained it to, to so many people over the years that I'm just deeply convinced that this is the right thing to do. And if I'm convinced of something, I'm usually quite stubborn. Awesome. Thank you. Where can people interact with the City of Munich's digital office? Is there a website? There's many websites, which is also another thing I'm working on. <laughs> but one is München, so M-U-E-N-C-H-E-N dot digital. And then, of course, like I said, there's our GitHub. I will send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. And we do have uh, several social media channels. Of course, I do also have a lot of channels and I'm always happy to hear from people or to, if I can, help out. So also feel free to reach out via Mastodon, Blue Sky, email. I'm not checking formally Twitter that much anymore, which is a very sad story, but... But so it is. Digital sandcastles everywhere. I'm not checking it either. And I'm also not checking the sustain Twitter, by the way. If anyone's like tweeting at <laughs> sustain there, I'm just not going to see that any ever again. Laura, awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Don't leave yet. 
Now is Spotlight. Spotlight's part of the show where we highlight people, projects, things that we think just need a little bit more light shed on them. So my Spotlight today is going to be Raphael Nussbaumer. I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly. I have not met this person. However, I continually run up against them in the world of open source and tech. And specifically, Raphael Nussbaumer is the bird reviewer for eBird for several cantons in Switzerland, I believe, as well as Reunion Island, which is a really sweet island in, I believe, the Southern Indian Ocean. Recently made a really awesome R script that would make my life as a reviewer easier. And I just love anyone who's interested in birds and open source tech. They're the coolest people in the world. So Raphael, wherever you are, I hope you're having a really good day. Keep doing the good work. Laura, what is your spotlight today? Well, first of all, I think that's such a great thing to have. Of course, I want to thank and mention all the people who are working and pushing open source at the city of Munich and have been doing through various ups and downs, but there would be too many to name. So I'm picking one from different organization. It's Miriam Seifert, who is working at the Open Source Business Alliance in Berlin. Miriam and I have worked together in our hobby <laughs> politics for years now. And I can always rely on her when it comes to yeah, if I need a sparing partner or if I need insights or opinion on certain projects, organizations. And she's really trying to knit the network of the open source community in Germany tighter and to push hard that open source is not just an option, but hopefully someday becomes a default for public administration. Excellent. I love that. Thank you, Miriam. And thank you, Laura. And thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, this is the part of the show where I talk about the past, like a medical commercial or something. I clearly shouldn't talk that fast. If you like the show, please let us know. You can email podcast at sustainoss.org. That goes to me and all the other hosts, complaints, comments, notes, whatever you like. Love letters. Send some love letters. Also, you can go to discourse.sustainoss.org to public comment or on the open collective Slack at hashtag sustainoss. You can find us on all the social medias. You can find us on your podcast apps where you're currently listening to this. And if you're on that app right now, if you're driving your car, don't do it. But if you're like walking around, walking the dog, press like. It actually does help us. And then also send an email to a friend saying you should listen to this podcast. It's really, really cool. That's basically how we survive. Also, we're always looking for funding. OpenCollective.com slash SustainOSS if you want to share the love with more people. Laura, thank you so much. I'm really excited that you were finally able to come on. It's really great to talk about the City of Munich and the excellent work that you're doing there. We're going to have more links in the show notes for people. But for now, thank you so much and take care and bis später. Thank you. Thank you.